I'm Ethan. And this is David. And welcome to Theological. All right. So nice. we're in. Excellent. <laughs> did we it. have opened the door. <laughs> Glorious. Oh, wonderful. All right. So before we begin, it's probably a good idea to sort of give everyone an idea of what they've gotten themselves into by clicking the play button. Yes. All right. So. Uh, if you were to describe this podcast in maybe one snappy sentence, uh, what what would that be, David? <laughs> Put me on the spot. Uh, yeah, yeah. We are trying to make the problematic theology less problematic. Right. We both grew up in kind of shall I say conservative leaning uh, traditions, yeah. and and we are now not so conservative leaning ourselves um and we have seen that a lot of the ways that certain theologies both conservative and otherwise um can impact the world isn't exactly the way that we want to leave our mark um and we have both personally been impacted by uh problematic theology and we have uh seen others through our seminary careers so we're kind of hoping to take a little bit of that and make it um, uh, to, to shift the goals a little bit, um, to shift the thinking and to to change the way that we look at things. Yeah. Yeah. Making yeah. theological lemonade from yeah. really bitter theological lemons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Theological lemons. So before we begin, uh, I, I think it's also important to sort of, you know, introduce ourselves. Um, so to begin, I am 28 years old. I live in Texas. I grew up in Texas. I was born in Austin, raised in Marshall, Texas, which if you don't know where that is, if you look at the east side of the Texas map, it's where the flat part meets the squiggly bit right by Louisiana. Um, that's that's where I grew up spent the first 14 really years of my life there and then i moved uh to college station so i've been in these sort of um very at once eclectic and not at all eclectic uh, theological spaces um as most millennials uh i lived through you know 9-11 and a bunch of other uh, crazy stuff <laughs> that is that has happened. So I, I feel like both you and I have been able to see these really interesting fluctuation periods in uh, in theological the theological life of uh, the United States. So my tradition is United Methodist. Um, I heard the call to go to seminary when I was twenty. 324. Um, I spent one year at ILIF in uh, Colorado and transferred to SMU Perkins, which is where I met David. Uh, and ever since then, we've just kind of been talking theology. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun to sort of look at the hard nuts to crack and, uh, and figure out new ways of splitting them open and talking about them. Uh, so we hope, or I hope, at the very least, uh, that that this is able to open up some questions in a more approachable way for a lot of people. 
because that's very important to me and my ministry as I uh, look forward to chaplaincy. I was just accepted uh, today as a local chaplain here at uh, in College Station. So that's it. Uh, that's that's kind of the state of my ministry and how we got to here. What about you? All right. Well, uh, I'm David, David Kim. Uh, I was born in Korea, came to the States when I was 10 months old, uh, lived in the Richardson area of Dallas uh, for about 23, 24 years uh, before moving to College Station. Um, I was working on a PhD that I didn't end up finishing, got the call to ministry, um, you know, uh, which is when I started going to SMU, where my wife was already a student. Uh, there I met Ethan on the first day of class, hit it off, and yeah. now we're doing a podcast together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am currently working uh, as a chaplain in the local Dallas area, um, finishing up a residency and an internship, uh, hoping to graduate. And um, I'm also a part of an English ministry at a Korean United Methodist Church. Grew up uh, in a sort of charismatic tradition. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't go to church until I was well into high school and kind of fell in love with the church environment there. Didn't really know the difference between conservative and liberal churches um, until uh, I started going to SMU. My eyes were opened and um, in a good way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, um, I feel like there's a lot to share and a lot to, to discuss um, in that space and that's why we're doing this so um yeah I, i'm hoping to have really good conversations here with ethan yeah absolutely well um something that just kind of occurred to me why don't we go ahead and sort of outline what uh, a few of the things we just talked about mean uh what does it mean to be a charismatic church just in case someone doesn't know Ooh, fancy yeah uh do you want me to take a crack at it yeah yeah run run at it yeah, uh, so a charismatic church uh, is one that believes in the working of the Holy Spirit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, usually they're, they manifest in what we call the gifts of the Spirit. So that's speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. um, prophecy. Yep. Um, those are the two big ones. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm doing a good job of explaining this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, Ethan, I, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Uh, let's, let's jump in. Um, I'm not, I'll be honest. You were my first exposure to to the charismatic movement, um, as as far as things go. So, I mean, my exposure to it before that was knowing a few Pentecostal people when I lived in Marshall, Texas, um, which kind of centered into weird middle schooler theological conversations, right? Mm-hmm. About like what the differences were between the churches where we went, mm-hmm. like in um at the united methodist church where my dad was a pastor uh he um there there was not so much dancing talking anything during the sermon it was very frozen chosen right (laughs) just sort of (laughs) sitting there waiting for the spirit to move you and the spirit didn't do that very often um (laughs) and so when i would hear my friends talking about you know their lives um, and watching people, you know, fall down in the middle of church or uh, speak in tongues, that was that was entirely new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was always really interesting. It, it feels 
maybe this is reductive, um, but it, it kind of feels like there's more of an emphasis on faith in action, like in specific action, um, than in something like, uh, specifically in worship, than in something like the United Methodist tradition, where if you want to clap or raise your hands, that's okay, but that's not necessarily seen as like tying you to the spirit or the spirit or God necessarily like shifting you around. Uh, yeah, I'm, I I only started going to church when I was in high school, so um, just the term charismatic church didn't occur to me until, mm. um, you know, years after I joined the church. So I, I to me, uh, the word charismatic, it's, it's it's very floaty the way that I understand yeah. it. Um, but I I think of it this way: so charisma, right? The Greek mm-hmm. word means gift. Yeah. Right. So we can think of it as a a a, a, faith, a faith that it it manifests in spiritual gifts. Yeah. Um, and yes, you're right. I think charismatic churches tend to be more um, outwardly mm-hmm. uh, manifested, whereas uh, some of the more cons- like uh, I don't want to say conservative because that has weight to it but um, the non-politically conservative yeah just yeah the the, just, just the the more reserved ch- reserved that's the word yeah, yeah. The, the more reserved churches uh, tend to have more inner inner facing faith yeah um, more yeah. reflecting in front of the pool right right uh, contemplation type yeah. stuff um, which doesn't which doesn't talk about their theology at all uh no 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 because no. um, you might have a very similar theology between a pentecostal and let's say a lutheran church yeah uh, but their modes of worship are very different right yeah. and i think that's kind of what i was trying to get at was the idea that like it's a it's yes it's an important faith belief but it's also a difference in the way that worship occurs yeah and so uh i you know coming from that, that background um i still have a lot of uh, respect and admiration for the charismatic churches, um, how they do worship, uh, how they express their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as we'll talk about in in some of these episodes, we'll, we'll there, there's there's some uh, baggage that comes along with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, that was kind of the inspiration of this whole podcast was the idea that everybody has like theological baggage even if you don't identify as a christian or as religious in any capacity the likelihood that in at least the united states theology hasn't had some kind of impact on your life because of very loud individuals on tv or street corners or uh, in your family (laughs) um it's it's very low that that hasn't ever impacted you um and we kind of want to engage that stuff i think in a more tactile way get down into the nitty-gritty and and walk with it work out the uncomfortable space right you know um that said i am not an expert uh so when i'm talking about the charismatic tradition um i'm talking primarily from an experiential standpoint right uh this is just stuff that i've seen things that i know um in future episodes um, there will be periods of intense uh, research beforehand 
Uh, today we're just kind of freewheeling it, seeing how things go. Um, just kind of getting a sense of our footing uh, as you get a sense of your footing with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, we have the opposite disclaimer of Mythbusters and saying we, we are not experts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe try this at home, you know, and, and work it out yourself. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and much less ballistic gel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have a buster on set that we're lighting on fire every every week. Uh, so. Much to our chagrin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we don't have the budget for that yet. <laughs> yet. I like yeah. the yet. Yeah. Kind of an idea, I know we had talked about it, um, mm. was to, to kind of bring to bear our most important theological question, uh, the thing that sort of, um, I think the, the phrasing would be keeps us awake at night, right? Mm. The, the one theological question that keeps us awake at night. Um, so why don't we why don't we go ahead and jump david what's what keeps you up at night what's your big biggest concern or thought about uh about theology so my biggest question obviously or not obviously maybe but um like a lot of people um is the question of theodicy and what do we do about Mm -hmm. human suffering in the light of the gospel um uh and, and to kind of uh, give a little bit more of a, a, a handle on that question, um, my thing is, uh, I, I wrote this down this way. Um, so all all theology is practical, right? Right. Um, has to have a practical aspect to it. So how do we approach theological discourse, especially about theodicy, mm-hmm. um, in a practical way and not just kind of navel gaze about what we should be doing? as opposed to doing it. Yeah. And theodicy is? Uh, yeah, the question of suffering in the light of the gospel and what God yep. has done. Um, is God responsible for suffering? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what a, is, yeah. Is that all? <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a simple way of putting a very complex problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there've definitely been times in my life where I know I've struggled with that, and it's it's kind of a that I think that's a question that haunts even the most staunch theological scholar. Yeah, <laughs> right. You don't bring it up in a room unless you want to be able to hear a pin drop. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So, so where do you stand on that right now? What's what's kind of your your process? Um. So. As I said in the intro, uh, I, I I worked on a, a PhD for a, a number of years, um, and my background is in engineering. And so mm-hmm. I approach things from a very, I don't want to say formulaic, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, Ethan? Um, uh, systematic? Yeah. Syst- yeah, very, very good, Ethan. Hey! <laughs> got it! A, a very systematic approach to questions like these. So um, does... God caused suffering. My stance is no. My stance is God is with us in suffering. Our perception of what is suffering is mm-hmm. subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and we'll get into this a little bit more, I think, because David, people will be like, David, what? Suffering isn't subjective. Like, you know, yeah, uh, people right. dying is not subjective. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind I, I don't of mean, an objective fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so I'm not talking about that kind of subjectivity. Uh, what, what I mean is um, we can only see and understand uh, what we know mm-hmm. uh, and our f- finiteness um, causes us to see suffering in a very specific way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we need to stop worrying about does God cause suffering and really worry about, or not worry about, but think about how God is with us within that suffering, within those mm. times of crisis and disaster. Um, mm. And I know that sounds like I'm kind of dodging the question, but I'm, I'm maybe, maybe we'll have a more deeper discussion about this. But yeah, that's the question that really, really I hold on to and uh, I'm still yeah. trying to work out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Definitely. So, so it's sort of a reframing, um, yeah. and, and we'll be talking a lot about reframing, uh, in, in the coming episodes, reframing is, is an important part of synthesis of new information, right? Where, you know, a, a previous belief can be shifted a little bit and you don't have to throw out everything. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Yeah. What about you? All righty. I think the thing that keeps me up at night the most is the question of what we do as persons, right? If we, if we want to say that we are created by God, the responsibility that we have to both talk about God and minister to other people about God in a manner that is accepting of the person to whom it is aimed Right. I know that Paul gets a lot of flack. Um, (laughs) Many rightfully deserved. I'm not coming out trying to defend a 2000 year old scholar. Right. Like that's that's not what we're doing. Well, not even a scholar, a 2000 year old like church father, essentially. I'm not trying to do that. Um, But one positive, I think, that I can say about Paul in the midst of all the other problematic questions and things and legacy of the way that Paul has been used in the church um, is this, that Paul wrote to people. Mm-hmm. He spoke to them specifically in ways they would understand about things that they were going through in the moment. Yep. And I feel like that's something that both in the wider, you know, Christian tradition And in my own life, I have seen sort of falter um, at various points where we are not really engaging people. (laughs) Mm. We're preaching an idea, which is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's really, really like really important to the way that I I kind of view ministry. Um, so, so yeah, I think the question is about our responsibility and how to responsibly talk about God to everyone in every situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, talking to people as opposed to talking at people. Yeah. The same with ministering, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. ministering to people and you're not trying to impose your ministry onto people. Right. Um, I think, so we were reading Maddox, uh, Randy Maddox is a theologian in the Methodist tradition and uh, he talks about uh, responsibility as response ability so okay um, the ability to respond right mm-hmm. and also allowing a response from others right um, you know and I think that's really important because I think 
like you said, we've come into this problem in the church of, you know, I mean, to use a very blunt term, indoctrinating people um, yeah. on what faith is without practicing it or allowing others to practice it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Emma Justice, I know we're, we're throwing a lot of names, <laughs> but Emma, Emma J. Justice has a really good book called Hearing Beyond the Words. Um, a, How to Become a Listening Preacher, I think is, is the subtitle of the book. Um, and in it, she sort of talks about how the church tends to be more prescriptive. Right. We we hear a problem and we immediately try to fix it. Um, and that's taking a huge amount of like risk because you don't know necessarily the entire situation. You're not entirely sure, you know, we, we aren't entirely sure of who a person is if all we know about them is their problem mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, an analogy that is both in the book and has kind of arisen in my CPE, my clinical pastoral education experience in a hospital um, has been the idea of whenever you meet a person, they're inviting you into the vehicle that is their life, right? And the landscape around you is full of stuff, places they've been. And they might drive you around and show you things. And as a pastor as a person your responsibility if you want to call it that is to listen and to look around to be inquisitive about the things that are going on that way you actually get to know them right <laughs> uh in a non-manipulative way right you just let them show you around and you might ask a question about the mountain off in the distance what is that you know uh why are we on this particular road what what makes this so important um but it's all questions of genuine care versus trying to figure out how to fix an issue, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I you, you know the season, but I oh, yeah. like the word prescriptive Yeah. because it describes so much of what we expect the church to do, both yeah. preachers and congregation members. Yeah. Um, you know, we as preachers want to give out prescriptions. Congregation members want uh, a solution to their problems. Yeah. Um, and that creates a really dangerous, um, per, uh, potentially destructive environment mm -hmm. where people feed off of each other, you know, yeah. um, creates a really vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So I really like the word prescriptive because it kind of we try to fix everything um, and that comes i think from the modern age of availability of so much information um, mm. and we think now that we can find the solution for literally everything mm. um, and you know we can see this in the hospital setting um, you know ethan and i are both chaplains so we we see this a lot where um, the patients don't want to talk about death anymore um, they don't want to talk about how they want to die. Um, they want to. They want to talk about options. They want to talk about you know, can I be put on a ventilator? Like, um, what what can you do for me? I you know, mm -hmm. do everything that you can. Um, whereas you know, before modern medicine, you know, back in let's say the twelve hundreds, mm -hmm. uh, you di you didn't have that problem. 
right. people weren't asking for prescription. They were asking for prayers and for to to die peacefully, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, death was everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, children died, older people died, uh, people died of diseases that are curable now, um, which is horrible. I'm not saying that we should go back to that. Right. Um, but there was more of an emphasis on how to live a good life rather than how to extend a bad one. Um, mm. Mm. That's that's a really interesting interesting way to put that. Yeah. Fascinating. So how would you um I don't know. I I I have a question but I'm not sure how to phrase it. So how would you look at say a person who desperately wants things to be fixed, right? Let's say that their life is falling apart. Um, this this person's um, health is suffering. Their their relationships are suffering. You know, they might be in the middle of an intense breakup or a um, a, a a divorce of some kind, a separation. Um, and they look to the church and they say. How do I fix this? How might you, David, sort of navigate that, given everything you just said? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the first question is, uh, what do they mean by fixing this, mm. right? Um, yeah. And again, engineer brain. Um, what's the problem we're trying to fix? What's right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, give me some specs, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do we want to see? Yeah. We, what do What do we want to see at the end of this? Is Is it to get your girlfriend back? Um, is mm-hmm. it to, uh, you know, not die of a deadly disease that you have protracted and are mm-hmm. now in stage four? Right. Um, like what? What? Like uh, I, one of my fellow chaplains, uh, his phrase was, um, "Let's think about what is possible, and impossible." Right. So right. let's let's. Let's see what those things are and then move from there. Um, And then, you know, obviously there's going to be different from person to person, but I think really seeing what the problem we're trying to solve is, uh, if there is even a solution to be had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the defining sort of um, aspect, the defining aspect of what we're trying to do, right? Mm -hmm is to shift away from giving answers toward asking questions Mm. that's that's kind of the the brief sort of way too way too reductive (laughs) version of 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 what i personally have found my theology sort of reaching toward um in the process of seminary right i used to think that seminary was about teaching me the answers to questions and now I feel like it's teaching me the questions to ask. Mm, that's good. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being super frustrated at one of our professors. I won't name, name him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I remember asking him like, uh, well, this is all fine and dandy. You're, you're giving me a lot to read. Um, but my church doesn't function that way. How do yeah. I teach this in a way that um, or preach this even in a way that uh, makes sense to them and his answer was do it in love (laughs) Uh, and that 
I mean, again, this sounds like you're dodging the question, but you know, what else could he have said? He doesn't know my context. Uh, yeah. He he wasn't there, um, mm-hmm. and he's not having to deal with these people that I know personally. Yeah, um, and it wasn't in a dearly. it wasn't in a context where that conversation could continue either. It was like right. the middle of class, right? So. Yeah, I uh, that was a I remember that day. <laughs> um, who boy? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, even as seminary students, we want to have that solution. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- these are not problems or or thoughts with which we have not wrestled or struggled or you know uh, spent years questioning. Um, that's I think another kind of part of this that I'm really excited for is to show that even after, let's see, you're in your final year mm-hmm. and I am in my uh, penultimate year, right? Even after all of those years, I mean, I've been in seminary for basically the last four years, give or take. Some credits didn't transfer, super fun. Uh, but like, after all of that time, there are still questions and there are still things that are that are sort of that we wrestle with and sort of have to find our way through. We have to navigate. Um, And it has been my personal experience that that's the hardest part to admit about theology is that we don't know everything and that parts of it still keep us up at night, scare us, are unanswered question marks. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Everyone has them. And that doesn't mean that I'm a bad Christian, right? Or, or that you're not the most faithful person I know. <laughs> like that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. There, there's, there's plenty of uh, room for questioning and wrestling. Right. In a healthy faith. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I see it like, you know, we still haven't invented the, the perfect airplane, you know? Yeah. The, the, the airplanes that we have still have problems. We're still trying to come up with new ways of, you know, building an engine or, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the, the best angle of attack for a wing is. Um, yeah. And the same is with theology. Like, just because we've been doing it for 2,000 years doesn't mean that we're any any better at solving modern problems, you know, or, yeah. or ancient ones. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on from the things that keep us awake at night, um, there are other areas of interest or questions that we might have that are smaller, less sort of impactful than the end of the world or, you know, the question of whether or not God causes suffering or how we most effectively minister to the people of the world, right? So some of those areas of interest for me are things like... Uh, I, <laughs> we'll, we'll peel back the curtain. I know sure. up till now it's been a little bit of a, of a serious... Uh, conversation um in in certain regards not that we can't have fun but like to peel back the curtain i'm a huge dork when it comes to specific things like watching uh out for good church signage and by that i mean entertaining church signage um because sometimes you ever been driving down the road look at a church sign and then think that if i didn't know anything about the religion that I'm a part of would mean nothing (laughs) that uses a lot of words and fancy characters to say very little. Um, 
or or some that seem very judgmental right you know <laughs> you are doomed sort of church signs um i am fascinated by them because i think church signs are the snappiest way that we get out our theologies and our church's theologies right um and the messages that they send really do i think influence whether or not i would want to go to a church um it's the first thing you see besides the name right um depending on the way the signs laid out you know uh if you have you know i i don't want to use a real church's name um you can call yourself you know the lord's love church or whatever um i know around here there's like grace church or grace point places like that and you can call yourself grace or love or mercy those are kind of big christian words necessarily right <laughs> and i think that's positive but if your sign is something about how those who do not believe will be punished eternally um there's a little bit of a dissonance there um that that either means that the person who makes the signs does not agree with the overall <laughs> branding of the church or <laughs> that there's there's some some work that hasn't necessarily been processed through um and if i were in search of a church home i would have some questions for the leadership of of the church just about the sign right um because i feel like when visiting a church a lot of times you get the red carpet treatment you know or if you don't there's that also says things um but it's like oh another wallet or <laughs> oh another person who can worship with us or who can lead bible studies or whatever mm-hmm. and those are all valuing for a like a like a specific reason right not because i am here mm-hmm. um and church signs i think are a good first look into how a church operates with that so yeah i find them dreadfully fascinating yeah yeah kind of the the twitter account of you know well i guess no that's a bad, bad example. Let's, let's just no yeah. no you're right though uh like yeah uh, definitely uh, yeah, it's, it's like exactly corporate twi- like twitter accounts yeah 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 and and they can come across as fake and forced just like corporate twitter can yeah. You know, yeah. does yeah. Arby's really play Final Fantasy 7 that much? Um This <laughs> <right>. is <laughs> one guy in marketing who's just doing all the ads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and so I I think that that's your first point of contact with the world is what you right. in a real way that's what you choose to put out there. Yeah. Um yeah. which is which is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I also am deeply, deeply fascinated by um, the buzzwords that appear in Christian praise music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, say more. Say more. The, I mean, no. I mean, the, the water metaphor meme that has become <laughs> a thing even outside of Christian circles. Like, uh, how, how many times can we, we talk about grace as an ocean? Um, yep. You know? Uh, before we we beat that horse to death um it's a <laughs> very problematic metaphor i understand um but that's the one i chose right <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah seahorse yes thank you ethan um, 
uh, to to complete the circle. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, actually, you know, talking about church signage, uh, I think the church church's uh, decisions on what music to put out there. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you talk about you know a good good father. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you sing that song, and then the sermon has nothing to do with God as a father. You know, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, that's that's more of a a problem that I see than a question. But mm-hmm. yes, uh, how, how how do we uh, we reconcile that? You know, yeah. Uh, what can we do as a church to not make our worship services, um, you know, essentially? a concert followed by a self-help seminar. I mean, uh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's brilliant, brilliant way to phrase that. Um, Because that's, that's a really good way to say it because when you look at the way that we sort of partition off parts of the church, it's like over here, you have the uh, Bible study, and that's taught by someone in a specific way about a specific thing. You have the sermon that is taught by a different person with a specific point of view in a specific way, right? You've got the music leader, um, in many cases, who chooses the songs, who is not uh, either of the other two people, right? who themselves has their own specific way of looking at things. And so that gets to the sort of communal nature of of. A church right where you want everyone to sort of be on the same page and that's one of the challenges of local church ministry and coordinating teams like that i find it i find it deeply deeply fascinating to see because when you see you know a local church might have some issues between either of those three individuals any of those three individuals mm-hmm. um some friction there um and that can deeply impact the way that one experiences worship if you're not familiar with it. Right. And, and Ethan's bearing the lead here. He, he was a pastor for a number of years um, yeah. with, uh, I, I don't want to say these problems, but uh, he, I no. mean, you've experienced, uh, I'm sure, some of these kind of dissonances. Yourself. I mean, I was, on, I was on all three sides of this at various points, right? Yeah. Like I, I have been a dedicated Bible study leader. I've been a uh, music pastor, right? <laughs> a, a music leader. Um, yeah. And I've been a, a pastor, a head pastor at a church. Um, only pastor, really. Um, yeah. Only positioned pastor. Everyone is ministers. Anyway, point being, um, I had the, I had the certification and I was the only one with that certification. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, there's three sorts of experiences in my life where I have seen that communication fall apart um, and work really, really well. And boy, can you tell when it's working? Mm. Um, that's to, to give sort of an idea. I was a music minister at a local college ministry, right? I, I led the Wednesday night band, which was always sort of thought of as the, uh, as, as kind of the backups <laughs> was sort of how we, we felt because the, the Sunday night band was big really polished and we weren't uh we, <laughs> we called ourselves garbage fire because we couldn't ever get through an entire song without messing up um 
in practice in some horrific way. Uh, that name really came about when one night the drummer hit the crash symbol during uh, during a song and it came off. <laughs> um, yeah. It just launched itself. Uh, the whole symbol fell. It it destroyed one of the toms. Um, I, in looking, unplugged my guitar. My mic fell over. Um, and this is like supposed to be the big emotional <laughs> moment of the of the service. It was we were singing something like Waymaker or uh, Chainbreaker, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, we, were, we were singing that, and and everything just sort of exploded, <laughs> and. That was the moment before the 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 person the the student was who was going to be speaking that night was going to be delivering their message, oh. and <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be the big moment yeah. before they come up and they give the message for the night. And we had been working together to figure out all of the like songs. We we talked back and forth at at length about how everything was going to play out, and then garbage fire happened. And the so we're trying to fix the drum kit while the student is standing in the middle of the sanctuary yeah. trying to start their their sermon. Oh, no. And they kind of looked and it was the most beautiful moment of synthesis I have ever seen in my life where they said. So finals are just around the corner and that's how I feel. And like, everyone starts laughing. It was it was beautiful because there was a moment between the minister, the music team and the the congregation where we all went right. This is like a human thing, too, on top of being about the divine. Right. Yeah. We are all here together and we affectionately called ourselves garbage fire or dumpster fire for the for the rest of the year. Um we even That's made amazing. a uh, we even made like a satirical video about it, like a, a trailer for for the dumpster fire documentary. It was great. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So so I think there are moments right where you can come together, and even when things don't go well, still have this unified front, because <laughs> not everyone on that stage agreed with one another. Right. Not every. Uh, not every person in that room uh, agreed with any other person in that room about the big and small thoughts, questions, opinions. Um, but we were able to all come together in that moment and recognize that even in the failures and the weirdness, there is still God. And that was really neat. I mean, that's a very apt metaphor for what we're trying to do i guess is mm -hmm. you know we might not all agree with the things that we're discussing and what we're talking about but we all understand at the end of the day that what we're talking about is humans trying to figure out um what we can do in our imperfection and um also our gifts yeah yeah absolutely to because the human brain cannot comprehend the infinite, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. But together we can get a more clear picture of it. I mean, uh, to reach into sort of the real world for a second, um, like with the Mars rovers and stuff that, that just landed, right? And the, was it a plane, helicopter? The aerial drone. Yeah, the aerial drone. Um 
a hundred years ago, we could not have fathomed what the surface of Mars looks like, but because of everybody, like we, we could imagine certainly, but we couldn't know, but because of a huge team of individuals all putting their minds toward how best to look at this, we have a more clear picture of what our universe looks like. And I think that's kind of what we try to do with God. Um, everyone's minds working in unison. No, no thoughts bend right out the gate. <laughs> Certainly some things that don't work. Um, but everyone having a, a spot um, initially at minimum. But yeah, we can talk about that later. Um, no, I mean, that's beautiful, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, just the amount of human teamwork and coming together to make that happen um, and sending something a million miles away literally yeah to to land a tiny little robot on a giant rock you know yeah uh it uh, yeah i mean that's that's exactly it you know we're, yeah. we're trying to do this crazy amazing thing mm-hmm. with the resources that we have as, as puny as they may seem yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz we're all just, you know, searching searching in the dark trying to figure things out in our own lives. Um I say this affectionately. We're all idiots, right? <laughs> like we we're, yeah. we're all I I know I'm a I I'm I'm I feel like sometimes I am intelligent about a lot of things and I still do stupid stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And I still miss and I'm still wrong and I still sort of over overcorrect or undercorrect and it's only by talking to people like you david or and and the others that have been in our cohort as we've grown and gone through seminary and as we continue out into the world finding new people reading new stuff that we get a more clear picture of of where all of this can go that's a really good way to put it Um, (laughs) thanks yeah uh, yeah, and I think that's a great way to end it. Uh, I think that's a apt and very beautiful way of kind of putting what we're all trying to do here. Yeah, uh, We're just trying to figure things out as idiots uh, in this <laughs> world that God has created yeah. uh, and uh, trying to make the best of it. Um, and so uh, thanks, Ethan, for uh, for having this conversation with me. Um, yeah and thank you for 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 being a part of this this is super fun yeah dude i loved it um we should do this again yeah hey uh fun (laughs) fact we will (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah i mean we've got a lot of episode ideas and thoughts um about kind of where we're going to take this um some some initial spitballing is that we're gonna kind of have a conversation uh forthcoming about um what we mean when we say certain theological buzzwords like theology or or faith um so if anybody who is listening to this all six of you um oh, has six people wow <laughs> yeah i know big um <laughs> <laughs> it's three times the size of the hosts. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you um, if you have any thoughts or like unclear words that you would like to see us kind of dive into, please uh, let us know. 
I'm sure we'll have some kind of social media or something, but we can fill that in later. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that'll do it, I think, for this episode of Theological. Yeah, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> <laughs>